me just taking this one word out of my life made me so self-aware to what I was thinking, what I was feeling, what I was doing, and why. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Trisha Huffman, welcome to the show. I am thrilled that I found Trisha because her message and her whole book and everything she has going is just so in line with what you guys need and want to hear to make your lives the best that it can be. Trisha is a podcast host, speaker, manager of integrity to Grammy award-winning artist and founder of Your Joyologist. I mean, can you imagine? She is a joyologist. While living out her first dream as a touring sound engineer, she saw that everyone, including the people we think have it all, often don't feel fulfilled and fight doubts, worries, and compare themselves to others daily. So she created Joyology to keep everyone healthy, grounded, and inspired in body, mind, and soul. She also wrote her first book, F the Shoulds, Do the Wants, and is taking that to all the people and empowering social media and real talk through all of her social media, her network, and her coaching work. So thank you so much for giving us some time today and bringing this really impactful message to us. So I welcome you to the show and can't wait to dive in. Trisha, I just want to start by, I know you are a sound engineer, but take us through a little bit because really a lot of what people want to understand is, you know, what were your goals or your visions for your life early on? And then how did you end up as a sound engineer? And then take us through that pivot to now being a basically a joy coach and sharing this beautiful message uh, of the secrets of joy that you've learned. First of all, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I always loved music growing up and especially live music. And I don't know what it was, but I would like go to as many concerts as I could. And I would really just be paying attention to the sound. Like my friends would be like, why it doesn't look like you're having fun? Because everybody would be like dancing and having a good time. And I would really be paying attention to the guitar is too loud. I can't hear the background vocals enough. Um, so I really like knew I wanted to be a sound engineer for concerts, but I didn't know what it was called. And so I pursued music um, and I did find my way into it um, and made that dream happen, which took a lot of work and belief in myself and pushing past, you know, people telling like not believing in me or you shouldn't be here because uh, it was mostly a man's profession. Um, and I loved it. It really is a high pressure job because I did sound for the band. So there's a sound engineer that controls what the audience hears. And then there's one on stage that controls what every single person on stage hears. So I had individual mixes for everybody on stage. So it was basically like their performance was very much in my hands based on what they were hearing in order to perform. <laughs> 
Um, so I loved it. It was very high pressure, but I realized looking back, even that that position was like a motherly job where I was like taking care of them and making sure, are you sure you're okay? Is this good? How is this for you? Um, and I really loved it. And I was living my dream life touring all over the world. And when I wasn't touring, I would go travel on my own. Um, so I very much was living a life of my wants. I didn't feel like I was living a life of shoulds, but there did come a point where I realized, great, I did this and I do love it. And people keep hiring me and paying me good money. And it's awesome that I get to tour the world and be with these people and stay at these nice hotels and stuff. So there were several times I realized I had done that and I was ready to do something different and I didn't necessarily know what it was. So I would just keep getting like pulled back on a tour and it wasn't as if it wasn't like resentful or something. I did like it, but at the same time, I like knew it was time for something else. And that happened because my father passed away suddenly. And that like really shook me in a way I never expected to, uh, he was, I guess, 57 at the time and it was an accident. And so he was, wow. really was a shock. Um, and I like, really like thought I made peace with it and, you know, okay, I understand all this. I like, you know, like was trying to make sense of it all and it's all good, but then really was like shattered about life in general. And what I saw too, was that I was living, working with these people that were living their biggest dream. Like I was living my dream, but these people were singing their own songs, had it all, could buy everything over and over, do all the things. And yet, yeah, like they still were stuck with the human condition of doubts and fear or of, of trying to please everybody and take everybody else's advice, comparing themselves to others, to not being able to fully enjoy their success because what's next and all of that. So that, and just like seeing all over the world, how miserable people looked. I, I was like, I couldn't do it anymore. So I gave up. I was supposed to be on tour for an entire year. And um, that would have been like, that was my salary. I didn't have a place to live anything, anything and um, quit not knowing what I was going to do next, but just that I wanted to shake people up to actually being present to their lives and claiming joy in whatever way they could, because yeah, life is hard and it's not always fair and terrible things happen. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So really like waking people back to being like right now is your life. Um, I don't know if I answered your question <laughs> at all, but that's how I went from being a sound engineer to then what ended up turning into being the joyologist. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, that's what it's all about. Like hearing the full story and then diving into the pieces. Um, so did you play an instrument? Or did you really just get straight into sound tech? No. And that's what's interesting. I never even tried to play anything. And I think I did have moments of like, you know, envisioning myself like as a singer songwriter or something like that. But yet I never tried, which was probably like the fear of failing or the fear of not being good, of, good enough or judging myself. So I never even allowed myself to try. But it, it wasn't from a place too, like, because there are people that go on tour and become guitar techs or something like that. And they really like do want to be the guitar player. And they have that, like, I knew I wanted to be in that business. So it wasn't like I was there like, oh, but I wish I was on stage or something like I was so happy to be a part of it. Yeah. And so, I mean, were you, so you, your job was working for the band and you would go on their tours with them. They hired you directly? Yeah. So I would be hired and be touring with the band. So traveling on the tour buses with them, 
or planes and tour buses and everything like that. So yeah, you, you travel with a pretty large, well, it depends on, on the size of the tour, or whatever, but yes, you tour with people for a long time going city to city, to city, to city, to country, to country. Well, like you said, I mean, you were already starting out on a really interesting path and that, so I want to pause and talk, kind of dissect that because, you know, I think there's probably other people out there that, um, you know, want to embark on something similar and hearing the story and figuring out how you break in and how you do that and what life looks like. I mean, that's what we're all about. We want to, we want people to live their passion, live their purpose, whatever it may be, and know that it is possible that there are different kind of jobs. You don't have to have a traditional nine to five. You don't have to work for a big company, that there are these other paths that are really what people are going to light their fires. But how do you get there? That's like really tough. So I want to take the opportunity to kind of dive into that a little bit before we move on to the other pieces, because I think that story in and of itself is amazing. So um, how did you, I mean, how did you, you you know, if if somebody's out there and wants to be a backup singer or, or a sound tech, or, you know, an, uh, whatever this, the, the people that put together the stage or road manager or whatever, how do you kind of get into that? And then second question would be, um, how is that being a lady in a, what I guess is 90% male area? Yeah. So I am a big believer of if you want to do something, then you have to like put yourself in those places and you got to like, sort of be so willing to make it happen that it's like, yeah, you're working for free. You're just like, making yourself useful that so and I've done that over and over in my life so what happened then I moved to Chicago and was like going to school at my my parents were like you have to get a college degree and I had no interest in regular whatever I went to Columbia College which is a liberal arts college in Chicago that is in the city um and I was like found like a music business degree I was like whatever okay they're gonna make me go to college and at the same time I got a job at the house of blues in the company store selling t-shirts. I only had a retail experience from high school. That's what I did was work in stores in the mall. Um, so I specifically got a job at house of blues selling shirts and keychains and stuff because they had concerts. And so then the people that were doing the concerts there were there all day long and they would end up coming downstairs and chatting and hanging out, whatever. So I got to know the production team and I was like, I'm pretty sure that what you guys are doing is what I want to do. And the production manager was like, oh, well then come hang out sometime. And so I did. (laughs) So I just showed up and I mean, you, you have to constantly like push yourself past like the fear of looking stupid or whatever, you know, like, that was when I was young, but there's still those fears. But again, now, like when you're whatever age you are, if you want to get into something, then you just have to put yourself out there and not be afraid of what people are going to think or that because you want that experience because you see like that could be a step to figuring out if that's what you want or not. So he said, yeah, sure. Come hang out sometime. And I was like, okay. And at that time I had another job too, like an office. I was in college. I had like an office job that I went to that paid me so well for that time. And I barely had to do anything. Um, but because of that, I would get off work at four and then I would get to the House of Blues at that time. And that's when everything had already been loaded in. It was time for sound check. So I missed the actual preparing of everything and that didn't do it for me. So even after like a couple of weeks or a month, I quit my good paying job so that I could show up when the uh, when like they were loading in and see it from the start and I was not getting paid. I ended up working there for free 
as like a stagehand for three months and working in the company store. I basically lived at House of Blues. <laughs> and then eventually they were like, oh, well, we need to hire somebody for New Year's Eve, an extra stagehand for New Year's Eve. So, okay, Trisha, we're going to end up, we're going to pay you. And then from that point on, then it was like, oh, I got to do sound at the like restaurant stage and I have to do this. And then our big sound engineers went on tour. And so then I was pushed to be like the main sound engineer. So so really just putting myself in the place to I'll do anything. Can I, how can I help out? Like, yeah, I'll be here for free. What can I do? And I had to, again, like I, ha- I had to put myself in that uncompressed, they'd be like, okay, here, Trisha, go, okay, great. You're here. Go to get us a boom stand. And I'd be like, what's a boom stand? Okay. Can you mic the snare drum? What's the snare drum? <laughs> and so it was so uncomfortable, but I you just had, to, okay, okay. This is what I want to do. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's great. And that it's so similar to, I I was listening to a podcast this morning um, about, or with Hala Taha. Are you familiar with her on um, Yap Media, Young and Profiting? Um, she's, She's in a totally different sector, but she has a lot of good insight. And she talked about that too, that she wanted to be in radio or a singer And she went to a radio station and basically worked at the radio station for free for like two or three years. And she left because she finally asked for a paying job and they said no. So she was like, okay, I got to do something to make some money. But she worked for free for two to three years. So I'm seeing a pattern here, ladies, that sometimes if you have the desire to do something that you may not have the skills for, you have to choose that over money. And that's what I heard you say, Trisha, you know, you gave up your job of not just any old uh, mm-hmm. minimum wage job, but a decent paying uh, office job to learn the craft that you were really interested in. And I think that's important because, and, and we'll move into your book at some point here, um, the should, I should take this job, I should stay here, this is, uh, you know, going to be good for my resume, whatever, whatever, Um that propels people a lot of times. And it's that fear of not having enough money. Um, but what I've seen is that it eventually, it levels out and nobody regrets doing those things to accumulate the skills, the experience, or just being around other people that are the kind of people that are going to hire or network you to where you want to be. So that's awesome. Kudos to you for doing that and doing that early on. So you worked in there, you kind of got experience. uh, And so what was it like just day in, day out, um, you know, being just one of the guys? So yeah, and that, I mean, that whole experience from the beginning to becoming then, you know, someone that was hired, like I was at one point hired to be Dolly Parton's sound engineer and toured with Dolly Parton as her sound engineer. So, but through all of that, so many life lessons, which are like in the book and, and that, um, at that time is when I stumbled upon this quote that really had such a big impact in my life. It's from Eleanor Rose Roosevelt that I don't know if I'm going to end up paraphrasing it or saying it exactly, but, um, I believe it's no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So that is a quote that I stumbled upon when I was like showing up, not knowing anything to this thing that I knew I wanted to do. But many people were like, what are you doing here? And this is the thing too, with that, with that position. So the crew that worked for House of Blues got to know me and they were cheering me on and they became like my brothers 
and I there were like two there was a woman there was a girl that was a lighting person and then like some women in catering or production so it was mostly men <laughs> but there were a few women but not in the sound role or, or, or stagehand um that but so so that quote like really it was like a constant reminder that, but, oh, so besides those people, every day when a band would come in, they come with their own, it's a new band and a new crew and stuff like that. So those people became my family and my cheerleaders. And even if, oh, Trish, like whatever, I might, might take things, take longer because I don't know about this. I'm there to help. But also, like I said, I had to keep asking questions. I, I was a quick learner, but still. So then every day, a new team of people would come in and be like, oh, who's this person? And to be honest, sometimes it worked in my favor that the young girl was there. And it, it was pretty much always men coming through, right, on these tours. Uh, but of course, then there's that also, like, the sexist stuff. <laughs> but a lot of people were, again, like, not wanting to take me seriously. And honestly, a lot of female singers and musicians, we are, you know, too, like, that's the thing. We're all, we're sort of programmed to be like, oh, this is not a girl's world. So even the women when I would be like their sound engineer would sort of be like, what is this young girl doing? She doesn't know what she's doing. So that was also an interesting thing. Like it wasn't just the men. In some ways it was harder to win the women over. <laughs> so it wasn't like, okay, I, even though I don't know what I'm doing, I believe that I'm I'm no, I'm here for a reason because I'm learning or whatever. So like they wanted to, oh, this or that or judge me or make fun of me or whatever the thing was happening, I still was like comfortable and confident. And then I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm learning. I'm here for a reason. Yeah. And did you find that the women were maybe more threatened or less team oriented um, because it was more male dominant? Or did you have any kind of adverse, you know, experiences with the ladies in that respect? Yeah. So I don't think they were threatened because like I said, it wasn't like there were barely, there was barely any female sound engineers that I came across at the time. And and if we did, then we were already working with artists. So it would just be like, oh my gosh, how amazing. Or if I saw, there was probably one that came through House of Blues in the entire time I was there. So I was just so like, ah. but it would be the artist. So if the singer the lead person in the band or whatever was a female. And I was the one that was meant to be doing their sound that day. Cause some people travel with their own sound engineers and some didn't. Some people would be very excited to see another girls, but some again were like, Oh, and I think it's just, unfortunately, like, yeah, like not just men are sexist women. We take on that programming too. So, right. They've never seen a female there and I'm young. So even though they're a woman, then they think, oh, is she going to be any good? Like, so I don't think it was necessarily the fault of the women. That's just how we are, like what society had taught us to believe. This is not a role for women. <laughs> but so I would have that. And even when I like later got hired for tours to like work with some icons, I did end up working with them, but there were a couple that had to be like, you know, they weren't just immediately like, oh my gosh, you want to hire a girl? That they were like, a girl? I've been in this business for this many years and I've never seen a female sound engineer and you <laughs> give me a girl. But then once they met me and like heard, oh yeah, yeah, she's great. It was good. But it was just like, I don't think it was really the fault of the women. Like that's the programming we've been sold, unfortunately. Yeah. And we all fall prey to that sometimes. I mean, there's definitely, you know, scenarios where I know that I maybe didn't give somebody the benefit of the doubt. It was more like prove yourself to me. Um, 
before I would accept, you know, something at face value. Uh, so I, I think some of that can be human nature. Um, is there anything that you can share? Um, cause one of the other things that we talk about a lot on this show is owning your worth and your value. And, you know, how did you have to show up in fighting for your income, asking for, you know, the salary that you deserved? Um, how did that work in that industry? I, I, it was uh, interesting because yeah, there was definitely, I, I, I even like write about this in my book about, um, that's, so I got hired by a touring sound company from house of blues. And usually if you, when you started with that sound company, if you weren't like super established sound engineer, then you would go out first on tour as a tech. So basically like an assistant to the sound engineer. I got a tour, the first tour I got, I was the monitor engineer, which was huge. And I think I was 22 or 23. Um, and, uh, and so, and when I found out that the person before me had been doing that job was like, he'd been around forever. He had done sound for Fleetwood Mac and for Madonna. And then he was the last person that worked for this artist I was working for. And so then I felt like if I'm doing the same job, why am I not getting the same salary he did? <laughs> Which I think can be, there are some things like owning your worth and your value, but like, yeah, I was very new, even though I was good and I was making the artists and the band happy that I had to, there's, you know, I think there's a part of that too, is like learning like your value and yeah, and you're newer and you need to be established. And I was hired at that rate to fit that tour's budget or something like that too. So I've had to learn throughout the, the years too. It's like, you can be clear on your rate and your value. And this is the same thing from the working for free and stuff too. I don't feel that that diminishes your value. So you have to be able to hold the space for both. This is my worth and this is my value. And right now, this is what I'm accepting. And so moving forward with tours, once I did have more things under my belt, like, yeah, I would have to negotiate rates. And it did get, you know, to ports where like, this is it. And so if they don't hire me, then they don't hire me. And I might not have a tour this year because I just said no to that gig and feeling, and, and it did get to a point where I was confident to say that. But there were also times when somebody would be like, oh, we're sorry, we can't pay you that much. But I wanted, I loved that tour so much and that experience. So it wasn't as if, as if I was lessening my worth because I was choosing, like, right, they cannot pay you that rate. That is not in their budget. So I can either say no and wait for another opportunity to come or... I actually do love working with them though. So, okay, maybe I'll take a little bit less or something like that. So I think that sometimes with all the pay stuff, it can be just like, it's this and that's that. And so if you're not taking that, you're not valuing yourself. And for me, there's always been like wiggle room because you have to figure out what matters to you. Maybe it's better to take less pay and not be on such a drama ridden experience because that wasn't. I thought my dream is I'll made it once I'm with the biggest artist on the biggest tour of this. And it was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> so much drama and so toxic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the grass is not always greener. And that that is, you know, what I always advise people is when you're looking at a job, especially if you're talking about a traditional job and you're comparing it to another job offer you got, you need to have a soft, you know, comparison checklist and a hard dollar comparison checklist because there's all these soft features that go into your satisfaction. Um, you spend, you know, a third of your life at your job at a traditional job and you want it 
to be fulfilling. You want it to be a good environment. You want to come away happy, at least most days. Um, So you have to factor that in. Money is not the end all be all to your point. It certainly isn't. Um, You have to factor your joy in. Those tours that I took less, it was because I knew I was going to have the best time and I did. (laughs) Absolutely. And, And I think that's really important for, I would say, the younger people to hear uh, because I've seen a lot of people, you know, I don't want to say millennials because I might be a millennial, um, but what is it, Gen Z after that? <laughs> I'm I'm on the cusp somewhere in there. Um, yeah. So, so I'm always like the millennials. Well, okay, maybe I'm that's me. But uh, so my age people and younger will give a really vague answer there. Uh I've seen people where they will just jump at another opportunity for like a 5% raise and then they hate it. I mean, we we, we joked at one company that I worked with, the flip floppers. They would flip and flop and be right back uh, because they left and didn't realize that the little paltry raise that they got was not going to um, override the amazing culture, the amazing friends and people that you got to visit with at the office. And that has a lot of value. Uh, and people without much experience, you know, money is a motivator. When you get more experience and you see the joys or the joy suck that you can experience, um, you're not going to jump so easily for a small raise or any raise. So it really is important yeah. to, you know, think about all facets of what the job is going to entail. So um, that's great. I really, um, I just want to go back to the quote for Eleanor Roosevelt too, uh, because I really love that also. Uh, and you're right. At, at some point in your life and in, in your job, you're going to be new. You're going to be learning new things. And it's our mindset that controls that. Uh, it's, you know, how we feel about ourselves whether we're going to wilt away without the confidence or if we're going to step out in the unknown and uh, try on some new knowledge and not worry about getting mud on our faces. Uh, Without that, you don't grow. And if you don't grow, you're dying, right? So um, that's all great advice. Um, So jumping into your book, tell us what motivated you to write the book. How was the process? How was the experience? Um, whatever you want to share about that. Yeah. So uh, well, I always felt, well, not always. I, there was a long time that I was like, okay, I'm going to write a book. I have so much I want to share. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I thought it was so funny when I finally was like, oh, this is it. Because what happened when my dad passed away suddenly and I tried to continue touring and I was just a mess and was just like, I have to figure out something else to do with my life to shake people up. I had no clue what I was going to do. And so I basically gave up my life. I think that was March or April of that year. Had no idea what I was going to do. And um, somewhere I got the message to give up the word should. And so that was basically great. I have no idea what I'm doing. I am going to figure out a way to shake people up and I'm not going to use the word should. And I don't know where that came from. And also that message really didn't make sense to me because I didn't feel like I lived a life of shoulds. I had, I really had lived my life of doing what I wanted, made those choices that, you know, on the outside looking in made not a lot of sense to other people over and over and over again. And so I really did feel like I followed my heart and I lived my wants. But I was like, great, okay, I'll give up the word should. 
And I committed fully and I was so shocked at how much that word was in my daily language. So big picture, I was living my life. I did not live a life of shoulds. But granularly, I was coming up against the shoulds on a daily basis. And so I, when I, I wouldn't let myself say it and I would get stuck. So I'd be like, hey, what should... It would just sit there like mid word and be like, what else do I say? I don't understand. Like what other word do I use? And I realized that through lots of trial and error that if most of the time, if I replaced should with want, it was this like game changer because so often we are unconsciously like just resorting to the shoulds and that's like we're outsourcing our life choices. And when I paused and brought it to want, then I was coming back to me. I was giving myself this like moment to look within. What do I want? And so this again, it was in the moment to moment stuff like, oh, I should really be get out of bed by now. Oh, I should do yoga today. What should I eat for breakfast? Oh, so-and-so asked me to go meet them for lunch. I should go. Like, so it's these small ways that it was constantly in my language. And then what I realized in my thoughts and feelings about myself and, and so I realized there was so much doubt and fear and I was making choices again that were based on what I thought other people wanted in different ways. And just even it uncovered a lot of my own conditioning. Like, you know, I knew I had body image issues, but how deep it really ran. And, you know, just all of these things like self-confidence, all the things, what should I wear today? It was in all of these small moments, me getting really aware. So me just taking this one word out of my life made me so self-aware to what I was thinking, what I was feeling, what I was doing, and why. Wow. So that's game. that was life-changing and that happened over a decade ago when, when my dad passed away. And so I've lived my life ever since. And that then, in, in, in like I said, it just makes me so self-aware. And so I'm present of what I'm doing and what I'm feeling. And I'm not like resentful or shameful. I, oh, this is a not enough thought that's coming up. Oh, that's a this. And it's really shaped my entire life. So I was like, okay, this, yes, Trisha, you have been telling people all about this should to one switch for, for 10 years. This is the book. And, and that I had all of these ways to show how deeply it affects us that we aren't realizing. That is incredibly powerful. When you mention what should I wear today? I mean, that, that, that wouldn't naturally come to my mind. Uh, and now I'm going to be thinking about this for the next week or two, thinking about how often I'm telling myself, you should do this or you should do that. Um, and I, I can see that. I mean, I really feel that and how you can make that switch. What should I wear today? What do I want to wear today? I mean, the answer might be, I want to wear a sports bra every day. Um, I may have been moving to that already. So ladies, look, there, there are plenty of sports bras out there that are fine to wear under regular clothes. So if you want to do that, I encourage you to do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then looking at the, why would you tell yourself you can't, right? Yeah. Like it'd be one thing like, oh, okay, you're going to, which by the way, I'm pretty sure arm works. Yeah. But like, so under certain things, it would be like, oh, okay, you don't, that I don't want people to see that. So that's not, I don't want to wear that today or something like that. But really it's like, why can't you? Yeah, no, it's true. And it's like, I moved to working from home. What does that mean about you? Yeah. If we jump to what will that mean about me? Or even like, oh, what should I wear? Like I've been so trained to wear what looks flattering or looks slimmer. And so I'll be like, oh, I love this. Oh, I don't know if it's flattering. Who cares? It feels good on me. 
right? Like, so there's so much programming we receive that is like really driving these small choices, but it limits our joy and makes us question ourselves all day long. Yeah. I mean, that that's good awareness. And starting with awareness is, you know, really the kickoff to changing and to finding the rhythm and the happiness for yourself is being aware of where you're getting stuck and what's holding you back. Um, so what does it mean to you to be a joyologist? Like, what is your definition of that? And how did you kind of come up with that? So the word was given to me. <laughs> a gift that keeps on giving. And I'll tell you even too, you know, since we talked about this earlier with the how I got into sound and I said, I'm a big believer in this. This is how I ended up making this joy, like this other new career happen was when I came off that tour, I knew I wanted to shake people up. During that time, at I ended up getting certified as a yoga instructor. I had already practiced yoga for several years. I was like, okay, if I'm home, I might as well do this. I got really into cooking. I had already taken really good care of myself because I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at 19. And I realized that like doing a lot of wellness stuff and what I ate and doing yoga and all of that affected how I felt so that I could live my life and live my dreams. So I had already done a lot of stuff, but that year I got really into it. And so, and I realized, oh, I want to go back on tour. I realized how challenging the road is for everyone. And again, including the artist who is the person in power. And when they're not happy, then everybody is walking around on eggshells and nobody will call them out on it. So I was like, I want to go back on tour and like take care of the tour, but specifically the artist and keep them healthy in body and mind and grounded and also like be calling them out on their shit. Well, excuse me. I don't, was like, I was trying not to cuss. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> calling them out on their stuff. I don't know what kind of podcast this is. Uh, <laughs> you know, but like lovingly. So like going and hey, what's going on for you? What's blah, blah, blah. Like, so really end up sort of being like a life coach-esque person for them. So I had created in my mind what I wanted to do. And I had this and I had formulated it. And what had happened was the person, the artist's camp team production manager that I left when my dad died um, called me and said, Hey, we know you don't want to do sound anymore, but this year, you know, the tour is expanding and we really need a production assistant. Is that something you would ever consider doing? Because really, like, that was sort of like, in many ways, a, a step down, right? It definitely was a step down in pay. And but they knew I, you know, like, we miss you on tour. We know you don't want to do sound. Will you come in as a production assistant? And I said, you know, without even hearing the the rate, because I knew it would be a lot less than I got as the monitor engineer. I said, you know what? Yes, I will come out with you as a pro production assistant, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come out on tour. I'm going to lead yoga classes. I'm going to make, you know, bring my like, bring this case as my smoothie and like juicer and stuff. I'm going to make healthy food. I'm going to make the dressing rooms nice. I'm going to put mantras and affirmations up all over. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the person that changes the energy of the tour and the artist. And that's going to end up being my job. And they were, and they're like, okay, yeah, whatever. But I was like, and I'll do the production assistant stuff. So that's what happened. I went out and I did everything to be an awesome production assistant and take on that role. And I came out with my own stuff and my own intentions. And within one week, Jason Mraz, who was the artist of the tour, said, I don't know what Trisha is doing, but I want her to do this full time. 
And then the production manager said, okay, so uh, Trisha's the joyologist and that's where the name come. But so this is another example of, I made something happen by putting myself out there in a different way. And then that happened and I was able to great grow that. And then I did go to, when that tour ended, go to different artists. You need me on tour. This is what I do. I'm a joyologist to that. But that happened by me taking a different opportunity <laughs> and being clear, like, this is what's going to happen. And like, but just showing up and I didn't know it might not have worked out. I might've just stayed the production assistant, but I'd still done those things, but it did work out. So anyway, that's where I got the title of joyologist. <laughs> and for me, what that means is being the reminder that even though there is so much challenging and hard stuff and life is unfair and we are going to wake up and have hard days and stuff. It doesn't mean to skip over that stuff, but to also make space to connect with joy and your own fulfillment on a daily basis. And to see that you can do that for yourself, wherever you're at and not it to be chasing it. Like I will be happy when I will be successful when, because so often we're putting our feelings of being happy, of being enough, of being successful on once I have this job, once I earn this much money, once I am married, once I have the family, once I write the book, once I get that speaking gig. And when we're putting those things outside of ourselves, we just continue to chase it. So you have to we to be the reminder that you can find joy today. You can find this feeling of fulfillment today in some small way. Trisha. There is so much to unpack in this story. Oh my gosh, where do I even begin? I I, I have so many questions and thoughts and uh, let me even try to get myself together with first, you know, I got the actual chills when you said what Jason mentioned to you because to have that kind of, you know, inspiration and impact on other people, I mean, I don't know about you, that is what gets me going. You know, that is what my vision and my goal in life is to have that kind of impact in people. So the fact that you did that and that you did it on your own, you came up with this idea on your own, how, you know, special that was for you. I mean, I can just imagine how you felt when somebody gave you such a compliment like that. Wow, I got chills. <laughs> That's incredible. And, you know, kudos to you. Again, I hope ladies are hearing the same message that I'm hearing. I mean, I'm hearing your specifics, but I'm also hearing if you want it, if you have the idea, if it's been, you know, something that's implanted in your brain, there is a reason why. Act on it. Find a way. Was Trisha scared to hear no? No. She just had the idea and said, I think this is what's going to make me happy. And she acted on it. Okay. You can't be afraid of no. What what would it, what were they going to do? You were going to take the job. You were going to go. You probably would have done some of that on your own anyway. Right. <laughs> I mean, whether they told you yes or no. I was going to say, I was probably afraid to say, get the no. And I still will be afraid to get the no and push through that. Like, it's like, you can be afraid to get a no or afraid it's not going to work out and still feel this inside, but I got to try, but why not try? But how will I not know? If I put, if I don't put it out there and I also getting a no or failing, whatever to me is, I've always seen everything as learning. It's all learning. And that doesn't mean it's the end. If something doesn't work out, that's just great. I collected some data on that. 
Now what am I going to do with it? I'm giving a virtual high five to Trisha because that's exactly right. I mean, look, people, I I love my life. I feel super confident in myself, okay? I think I'm awesome. I know what my worth is and I know what I can do, but it still doesn't feel good to hear no. What makes me power through a no is the fact that if I don't ask, how am I gonna get to yes? How am I gonna make a change? How am I gonna figure out what to do? So I, it's not like Trish and I have learned some secret magic way that no's don't bother you. No bothers everybody. Nobody wants to hear no. But you have to learn that if you don't ask, you don't get. That's it. I get told no all all the time. Believe me, ask my husband, ask my mom and dad. I am told no all the time. When I call one of my friends and I'm like, hey, I have an idea. And they're like, oh, shit. Crystal has another idea. What is is this going to be? Okay, because I have a lot of ideas. I'm full of ideas. I never stop. And I mostly pursue them because I just think what is the worst that's going to happen. You live, you learn, and you move on. So I I just, I'm so encouraged, so excited that we kind of ventured down this track in our conversation uh, because I think this is going to give so much motivation for people to think outside the box. So on that, so you worked in this created position that you made for yourself and then what happened? I mean, were you picked up to do this for other people? Did you stay on with Jason? How did this how did this message spread amongst artists? Yeah, so I uh, it would end up like, you know, on tours, no matter what, you sort of like get contracted for that tour. So I did it for like 18 months at a time <laughs> for Jason a couple of different times. I went out with Colby Calais for one time, but I also took lots of time between every tour to like recharge and make sure, even though I loved that and I loved what I was doing, but like to make sure. And this is the thing too, I especially in industries where I think you are sort of like freelancer going this to that, there can be this urgency if once a job ended, then I better go get another one because what if another opportunity doesn't come in? And and I, you know, could fight that, but it was more important to me to like make sure I'd fully like recovered and reset. And like I would make time for other things in my own explorations and things and then be like, okay, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to put myself out there. But not like you don't have to be working 24-7 to again, like be your worth or to be that thing or whatever it is. So I did it for several years and then I knew that I have always known that I wanted to be a mom. And that's interesting too, because when you originally were like asking about what I thought I'd do with the rest of my life, I got into a position, I, I don't really think I ever thought of my life as like forever or a career because sure, I guess I could be, I, there are some women, I just like, yeah, there are some, there are women that tour in different roles. And I just came upon one who's a tour manager now who has like an eight and 11 year old son. And so she picks up and like the men do it all the time. My kid's dad is a guitar tech. He's gone for months at a time. But like, but of course for a mom, that seems totally different. Like what the mom leaves and like for months at a time while they're on tour, of course that can happen. But for me, I think I always knew I want to be a sound engineer, but I didn't like yes, I'm going to have babies and be in my 40s and 50s touring, (laughs) like as older. So for me, that was just what I wanted to do anyway. So at that time, I was in a relationship and I knew I wanted to have kids. So when this one tour cycle ended, I was like, okay, it's time for me to get off the road. I love what I do, but I can't just 
keep, you know, go out on tour for a year and a year and a half at a time. Cause then what about the rest of my life? And that was a really hard choice to make because I absolutely loved this role that I created. I still love traveling. I still loved being with the, with the tour family. And I knew like I needed to make changes for the rest of my life and to build something else. So that's where, um, so that's why I stopped touring and I did the same thing. I just took time off. I didn't force myself into anything like, okay, I should do this. I had some savings and also just lived, you know, very lightly off that savings as I figured out what I was going to do now that I wasn't going to do this as a tour. And that's when I ended up creating, um, I created my first product, which is the own your awesome affirmation deck. I like then was like, okay, I can do coaching for, you know, people that aren't just artists. Uh, and I was like putting stuff out on social media when Instagram was like first a thing and stuff and like whatever. So, so I got off tour because I wanted to have kids and I did have kids and, um, yeah. And so now I do still work with people in the public eye or people that are putting themselves out in the world in any way. You don't have to be a Grammy award winning artist, you know, whatever. Somebody has a podcast, somebody who wants to be an influencer, anything. And so in, in that same way, but from the comfort of my home, (laughs) but like keeping them, in alignment, in integrity with themselves, trusting themselves, effing the shoulds of how things should be done or whatever. And like having that inner confidence because it's a lot, it's a lot to, to keep believing in yourself and showing up that way because the world is noisy. (laughs) Absolutely. And so, you know, how long have you been coaching, uh, people as a joyologist? It's been like a decade now, which is insane to me. Because it feels like I just got off tour last year, but I'm like, oh, wait, I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. And, I mean, it yeah. just totally pivots. And yeah. and that, you know, the other, I think, lesson that people should take from this is that when you're, you know, feeling something, you know, a pivot doesn't mean you failed or something is going wrong. It, it It's just a slight change in direction. And that could be the difference maker. You know, I've heard a lot, you know, we talk to a lot of business owners and different um, people in industry and, you know, people feel like it's a failure if you pivot into something different. If you started out with this idea and this plan and it just didn't end up where you wanted it to be, you know, congratulate yourself for taking the chance because you're still doing more than a lot of other people are doing by going in, by starting a business, by taking the first step. And then if you see it's not where you're, you know, where your future lies, pivoting that and taking that experience that you've had and shifting it to something else is totally okay. There's no failure in that. It means that you're growing. It means that you're adapting. It means that you're changing because life is ever evolving and ever changing. So I think, you know, people understanding that pivot is really important. You know, I think that speaks to women um, a lot of people that I talk to are lawyers and you have that in in a different kind of way, but you still have that, I want to start a family. How does that look for my career? And what are my options? You know, that's the question that comes up a lot for women. And so you did that in a different kind of industry, but the same, you know, playbook applies in many industries and in many um, careers. So I think that's important for people to understand and see that, pivoting so that you can achieve your future and long-term goals is totally okay. And, 
you got to go with that sometimes. That's, I mean, what is good for you today doesn't mean it's going to be good for you later. Um, and that did kind of answer one of the other questions that I had is uh, if you were... To- can, I, well, can I Can I reply to yeah, what you just yeah, said Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally resonated with, with that. And um, the times that I went from sound engineer to... So even though I, I made up a freaking... I, freaked, I made up a role of my dream role, right? As a joyologist. But yet still when I, especially in that like first year and even sometimes afterwards, when I would be back on tour and not be the badass sound engineer on the side of the stage, like there was some things like, especially in people that knew me or whatever, even though I'd created this even more awesome role in a different way, like, right. There was some identity, like questioning for myself too. Like, who am I if I am not Trisha Huffman, badass female sound engineer, one of the rarest, right? So there also was like that, that would come up, even though I was making a choice of something I wanted to do. And the same thing when I chose, these are choices to get off the tour to create something else. Again, it was, I love that. And I know that it's time for me to make a shift that like, oh, but who am I if I'm not the blah, blah, blah. And I can't say that I'm working with so-and-so big name right now, right? Like that. And so again, it's like re-realizing that we're questioning like, what does this mean about me? And these are things that I go into in the book. And most of that is related to because we are so worried about what does everybody else think about us instead of, and so I'm always constantly guiding to switch that because it still happens to then go, but what do I think about me? What do I believe? And it's like, right, I am still that version of myself and I am making this choice because that is what's best for me now or, you know, in that. So it's like this constantly coming back that we are oftentimes judging ourselves because we feel like the world or or just, we don't realize we're judging ourselves. We act as if nobody's going to blah, or they're going to see this as a failure because I have pivoted or that we act as if everybody's out there judging us and making these assumptions up about us. And they may be, but really if you are stuck in that thought and if you are afraid of it, it's because you are judging yourself for it. And for those choices. And so that's a big, there's like a step-by-step process in my book to realize like, oh, this is how I feel. This is me judging myself. Okay, well, why? And it's usually because of some conditioning from the blah, 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 or this, because I'm, you know, I should be sticking with a job or I said I was going to do something. So now I have to stick with it, even though it no longer really actually feels right and stuff like that. So a lot of my book is taking us through like these questions to figure out And then you can get back to, oh, right. That's why I'm making this choice and be happy with it. Because really what I see is like every should that comes your way is a choice. And you can get clear on why I'm making that choice and make it turn it into a want also or shift. Oh no, this is why I'm doing this. Instead of getting the lost into what does this mean about me? What are people thinking? Blah, blah, blah. Come back to yourself. Yes. And look, what Trisha just said is again, talking about lawyers is so important. Your job is not your identity. Your job is not your identity. And I think for many people, um, especially lawyers and doctors, the job becomes your identity because they're kind of held up in our society as like a top profession. I mean, I had that experience myself, you know, uh, going to law school and saying, I'm not going to be a practicing lawyer. Where does that put me in the hierarchy? You know, and people really, really struggle with that. And what you said is spot on, Trisha. You're still a badass sound tech. 
you just don't do it every day in your job. And you got to remember that. Like you got to have that. You got to take that in. You got to put that in your heart and revisit it whenever you want because your job is not your identity. But what you learned and who you are, you can carry that around no matter what. Um, So thank you for pausing and highlighting that because that really is something that people need to remember, especially when they want to pivot and do something else. You know, especially if you're the CEO of a company and you decide, I'm going to stay at home for two years and raise my kids. But what does that make me? I'm not a value to people. I'm not a value to the world. You're a value to your kids. They love you. They need you. They want you. Um, Having that, you know, self-understanding and self-worth is really important so that you can do what you want to do, like you said, instead of what you should do. So really appreciate that. Yeah, and actually be enjoying your life and not yes. staying at a job because yes, what will people think? Or this is what the blah, 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 blah should be doing. This is what blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is your life and you don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. So are you going to just continue in this job or continue staying with this role or because that's what's, ex- you know, like even that's what's expected of you. That's what you've been told you should do. Like, why are you really doing it? And does that really matter? Yeah, exactly. Well, I have two more small questions for you and then we can wrap up this totally packed loaded episode for everybody. Number one, how is it traveling with kids? (laughs) I have three kids, so I feel you, girl. I choose to see everything as an adventure. (laughs) So even like I, when my kids were like, I feel like 10 months and two, I flew on a red eye to London by myself, like drove my car two hours away to an airport, parked it, got a shuttle, drove, got a car booked up. And like, and so many people wouldn't do that just because of that flight, right? And it's just like, that's part of the journey. And I see everything as an adventure instead of like, oh no, how's this flight gonna, like, of course those thoughts come up, blah, blah, blah. And so you can prepare yourself. Yeah, it's definitely like that. So people will be like, oh, I don't know if I like took a vacation with my kids. I just went somewhere else with my kids. But I think it's totally worth it. Like, yeah, it's not It's not going to be as relaxing as when you're Mm-mm. solo or doing it with only adults. But like the experiences are so magical. But yeah, I, like I said, take everything as an adventure and have low expectations. <laughs> well, I think I need you to be my sister wife. So I, I, I still have not had been brave enough to take my three over like a long haul flight. I was thinking about that for this summer. Um, And people ask me all the time, well, why would you even want to do that? They might not remember all of it, but I will. And that's the thing that motivates me. That's what gives me joy is seeing and experience things with the people I love. Um, So I always love to know, and maybe we'll talk about that offline too, (laughs) but you know, there's a business idea for you, a total blog dedicated to traveling with kids because people have so much fear and trepidation about it. And it is a total adventure. I'll I'll, I'll use your word. It is an adventure, Uh, but it is worth it. It's always worth it. I mean, sometimes I may be crying by the end of the flight, but it was worth it once we get there. (laughs) That's one day or one hour or whatever like even if you did like that was like a full day right of that then it's just like sure it might be a mess and terrible and then that was that day yeah exactly and then you make the choice you make the choice to (laughs) love it anyway 
and wake up happy, no matter how tired, no matter how whatever, it's a choice. It totally is. And that goes with your theory. So I love that you bring that into your whole life. The next question I had is what's the best place? What's your favorite place that you've visited? You know, so I've gone to so many places. So it's like, oh, my mind did darts over, but at the same time, Italy always comes up. I even um at one point, this is a random, random story. I, I one time like lived in Italy for a few months and it just magically came together that I said I would want to live in Italy. And then it like everything lined up for me to live in Italy for free for as long as I wow. wanted to. I was there for like <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know what it is because I'm so blessed. I was like, that's a, somewhat an overused words to be able to have gone to so many countries around the world. And there's so many like magical moments and places in all of them. But yeah, there's something about Italy that, and I'm, and I have a gluten out. I've not eaten gluten since 2004. So it's like, which by the way, they take, they take gluten allergies very serious in Italy because they want you to have your yeah, or your pasta yeah. and bread. So everybody that has a gluten allergy in Italy has gets like a certain amount of month um, to spend on gluten free foods from the government. That's awesome. Well, Trisha, this has just been so amazing, even more than I expected. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything else you would want to share with the audience? I don't know. But yeah, I really love this conversation and the directions that we we took that I didn't expect and loved <laughs> getting into <laughs> the nitty gritty of, um, of, yeah, making several dreams of mine happen. Um, yeah, you know, the, the biggest thing I just want to say that I feel like I'm really, really, really constantly dive, like reminding everyone and myself lately is trust yourself. Like that's the thing too. A lot of times we don't make the choices we want or we get stuck in the shoulds because we're not just trusting what we feel and trusting that it's going to work out or trusting that it's going to be okay to whatever that step is that you've been wanting to make. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing. You're generous with your time and all your wisdom. Guys, Trisha is raising her two strong-willed daughters in LA bringing you joy. You can find her at yourjoyologist.com. You can also listen in on her podcast called Claim It and hear so many more intriguing stories. So definitely check that out. Thank you so much. Remember that you are made for more. So start living like it today. Until next week, remember you're loved, you're blessed and happiness is a choice. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening in. If you loved what you heard, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends. Tag us on social media so we can give you a big shout out. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more, head on over to the website where you can learn all about what we do to serve and support our entire community. Until next time, keep dreaming big and getting clear. You are made for more. So start living like it today.